today, I want to do something a little different. I want to answer a question. I've been asked the question on a number of occasions in the course of my ministry. You probably will hear the question if you haven't heard the question before. Uh, You'll hear it at some point in the world in which we live. And that question has to do with the gospel, and it has to do with those who have never heard the gospel. Uh, People who are living in some other part of the world that are not as blessed as we are, where there's churches all around us that are proclaiming the gospel. They live in a part of the world where they don't have a Bible, they don't have a gospel preacher. They will live and die without ever having ever heard the gospel. And what about those people? Are they saved some other way? Is there some other way to come to God than through Jesus Christ? Uh, is it possible for somebody to be right with God and yet not even know who Jesus is or not even know about Jesus? I've had conversations with people uh, over the years. Uh, some of them would say something like this. They believe that while there are places in the world where they don't know about Jesus and they don't have a Bible, they have some kind of a Christ figure in their religious setting. And as long as you believe in that Christ figure, whoever it is, they don't call him Christ, they don't call him Jesus Christ, but as long as you believe in that Christ figure, that's all you would need. God will see that and God will recognize the sincerity of your heart and God will accept you on that basis. Is that true? Is it really true that people who are living on the other side of the earth don't need to hear the gospel of Jesus? And if that's true, we desperately don't want to take the gospel to them. We definitely don't want to take the gospel to them because rejecting the gospel is certain uh, condemnation for your soul. So how do you answer that question? People that have never heard the gospel, uh, how do you answer that question? We're going to answer it in four ways today. First of all, we're going to look at the plain reading of Scripture. We're just going to read some Bible verses. We're going to ask ourselves, if we just read them for what they say, what do they say? Then we're going to talk about the truth about condemnation. We have a tendency to believe that there are people who live in the world who are innocent. So they live on the other side of the earth. They've never heard the gospel, so somehow they are innocent, the truth about condemnation. Then we're going to talk about the right response to light. Whatever light God gives to you, what is the right response to that light so that he'll give you more light? And then finally, the last question, or the last statement, is the unanswerable question about Jesus. The unanswerable question uh, about Jesus. And we're going to think about uh, that particular question. I want you to look at the screens for the next few moments, and we're just going to read some verses of Scripture that come out of the New Testament. The first one comes from John chapter 14. You'll recognize that passage of Scripture. That's where Jesus Uh, was with his disciples in the upper room. He's only a short time away from going out to the garden. Uh, They're going to, Jesus is going to pray there in the garden, and then he's going to be arrested and rushed away to uh, those six unjust trials, and finally to his crucifixion, and then his resurrection. And Jesus is speaking with his disciples. They're troubled. Uh, They're troubled because Jesus is going away. And you know those opening verses. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And the passage continues with a question that comes from Thomas. Then Jesus answers Thomas with what he says here in verse 6. Is this talking about the plain reading of Scripture? Jesus said to him, that is to Thomas, 
I am the way. You might want to circle the word the. I am the truth, circle the. And the life, circle the. No one, notice the words, no one comes to the Father, and then notice the qualifying phrase, except through me. Except through me. Now, if you were just picking up a Bible, you were reading it for the very first time, and you were paying attention to the words and noticing what was said, you would have to come away with a plain reading of John chapter 14, verse 6, as being that if you don't know Jesus, then you don't have hope. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to the Father than through Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us seven different I am statements of Jesus. You know, I'm the water of life, I'm the door, uh, I'm the good shepherd, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He gives us these I am statements when Jesus is declaring who he is. But amongst those I am statements are the ones that are found here in this verse. And it clearly says, just plainly reading what the Bible says, it says that you cannot come to God except through Jesus. Now, I don't know how you get around that. I don't know how you get around reading it plainly as everybody else reads that plainly, but that's clearly what it says. There's another passage of scripture that's found in the book of Acts chapter four. Let me just give you a little bit of the background of this story. Peter and John uh, have just healed a man, and I say they've healed him. God healed him. And this man gets up and he's jumping and he's leaping and he's rejoicing and he's praising God. I mean, he's not been able to walk and now suddenly he's able to walk. He was lame and now he's able to walk. And everybody's watching this. They know this is the man who was laid at the gate begging alms. And here he is on his feet and he's rejoicing and he's running and jumping up and down. And people began to gather around to see what was unfolding. And so John preaches this incredibly powerful sermon. And at the end of that sermon, uh, the Roman authorities are not the least bit happy. They take John and uh, Peter under arrest. Did I say John preached it? Peter preached the sermon. But they take John and Peter under arrest, and they hold them overnight. And then the next morning, they bring them out to interrogate them. And in the process, Peter again preaches the gospel of Jesus in a powerful way. And this is what he says, Acts chapter 4. Let it be known to you all. And to all the people of Israel. So he's talking to the tribunal before which he stands. Then he speaks to all of Israel. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. There's the gospel. By him this man stands before you whole. And so he says in essence. Peter and John didn't heal this man. God healed this man. Jesus healed this man. Then he goes on. This is the stone, that's Jesus. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus came, you rejected him. Now he's the cornerstone. But then he gives this qualifying statement. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. No other salvation in any other. You must believe in Jesus. He is the only way. And so somebody comes and says, well, there's a Christ figure in every religious tradition. And whoever that person may be, whatever you call that person, as long as you uh, refer to him or believe in him, I should say, the end result is that's all that's necessary. God will see your sincerity and God will accept you on that basis. 
Well, that's not what the plain reading of the Scripture says. The plain reading of the Scripture says there is salvation in no other than in Jesus. And you must believe in him in order to be saved. And so people on the other side of the earth who've never heard of Jesus can't be saved from their sins apart from Jesus. There's another passage we'll look at. It's Romans chapter 10. We looked at this last week, and we talked about ourselves being the couriers of the gospel. We're to carry the gospel uh, to men and women. But in that particular passage in Romans chapter 10, he uses a beautiful word. It's the word whoever. You know who, do you know who whoever is? Whoever is whoever. It's, it's anybody. And he's talking about there is no distinction between the Jew or the Gentile. There's not one way to God for the Jews and another way to God for the Gentiles. There's one way for both Jew and Gentile. And that one way, as he's going to say here, is Jesus. And notice what he says, chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Many of us, we look at that verse and that's how we have assurance of our salvation. We remember a point in time, a place, when we called on the Lord and the Lord saved us because we have his promise. If we call on him, he would save us. And we called on him. And so we rest in that promise. But he goes on. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So I hope that you're getting the context of what he's saying here. Hope you're understanding the depth of what he's trying to communicate. You have to call on the Lord Jesus to save you. But you can't call on him if you don't believe in him. And you can't believe in him if you haven't heard about him. And if you haven't heard about him, it's because there's not a preacher to tell you about him. And if there's going to be a preacher to tell you about him, somebody's got to send him. And of course, Jesus has done that, hasn't he? He's given us the Great Commission. We're to go and make disciples of all the nations of the earth. And so he's clear in Romans chapter 10 that you've got to call on, on Jesus to save you. And for you to call on Jesus to save you, you've got to believe in him. You've got to hear about him. Somebody's got to tell you that message. And those people are sent to tell you that message. He, in essence, is saying to you, there's one way. The plain reading of Scripture is that there is one way to God, and that one way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a couple of other verses that are not going to be on the screens. If you just want to write the reference down, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, listen to what it says. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. Now think about that. He desires all men to be saved. Does he want people on this side of the earth to be saved? Absolutely. Does he want those that are on the other side of the earth where they don't have a gospel preacher? Therefore, they haven't heard the gospel message. They can't believe it because they haven't heard it. And because they haven't believed it, they don't call on Jesus. Does he want them to be saved? Absolutely, he wants them to be saved. Uh, Peter said that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, he's not going to force people to believe in him, but he desires for every person to call on him for salvation. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hear that? You've got to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
For there is one God, now listen, and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So how many mediators are there between God and man? There's one. And who is that one? It's Jesus Christ. And so everybody has to come to Jesus. There is no other mediator. There is no Christ figure in every religion. You can't just look up and say, well, I know there must be a God somewhere, so I'm just going to believe in that God, and that's all I need. For a person to be saved, they must hear the name Jesus. They must call on the name Jesus. They must believe in the name Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. There is no other. You can, you can come to me, and I'm not the mediator between God and man. Jesus is. Or a passage back in 1 John chapter 5. We're looking at just the plain reading of Scripture. If Jesus is the only mediator, if you have to call on his name to be saved, if there's no other way to the Father except through him, there is no salvation in any other but him, you can come to no other conclusion, can you? Except what John, 1 John 5 says, verse 11 and 12. Listen, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. That's what we want, isn't it? We, we want life with God today. We want life with God in the future. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Now listen, and this life, this eternal life is in his son. It's in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the Son, the Son of God, does not have life. Now, if you're reading that scripture in a plain fashion, just letting it say what it says, what is the conclusion that you reach? The conclusion you reach is that there is no other way to God than through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you look at the Bible and you just read it for what it says, and those are just some of the verses, the plain reading of scripture says... Everybody to be saved must know who Jesus is and they must believe on Jesus. There can be no Christ figure supposedly like Jesus in another religious tradition that you can trust and that will be sufficient. That isn't sufficient. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so when we read the Bible and we think about those that are on the other side of the earth who never heard the gospel, never had a gospel preacher, they don't have a Bible to explain the gospel. The fact of the matter is, if they're going to be saved, we've got to get them the gospel. By the way, that's the reason why our church is so heavily involved in missions. That's why we give large sums of money to the cause of missions. That's why we want to have our young people to ask God the question, Lord, would you be pleased to use my life as a missionary? Why? Because there are people in this world, and other churches like I should be doing the same thing, but there are people in this world who have no other means of salvation except we come to them with the message of the gospel. Nobody else is coming. We have to bring them that message in the plain, simple straightforward reading of scripture says there is no other way than through Jesus Christ. Now, I, I know I have some friends that like to debate this with me. They have a philosophical idea of how people can get to God other than through Jesus Christ. And we've sat and we've discussed it until we're both blue in the face and we're never going to convince the other person. I understand. Maybe I'll not convince you. But here's, here's what I do know. 
I know that you can't take your philosophy, no matter how good it makes you feel, about those that are on the other side of the earth and force it onto the Bible. That philosophy is developed in your own mind and in your own thinking to create a comfort level for your own self. If you exegete the scripture, just let the Bible say what it says, the plain reading of the Bible, you come to the conclusion that they have to hear about Jesus and they have to believe on Jesus. There is no other way. And so that's the plain reading of scripture. Well then, how about the truth about condemnation? Look with me now at Romans chapter 1, where I've had you to turn. Romans chapter 1, where I've had you to turn. And and I want you to think with me about what it it says here. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Listen carefully. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So let's just stop there for a moment. We like to talk about the love of God, don't we? And I don't think we talk enough about the love of God. I'm grateful for the love of God. Do you know why Jesus came for me? Because of the love of God. It wasn't because I was lovely or you were lovely. It was because God is, because God is love. And God sent his son. And the death of Jesus Christ is the greatest demonstration of the love of God for mankind that you'll ever find anywhere in history or in the future. And I'm thankful for the love of God. But the one thing we don't like to talk about, we don't like to talk about the wrath of God, the judgment of God that's coming. And yet the Bible is clear that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The same love that comes from heaven so brings the wrath of God from heaven on the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. To suppress is in the present tense. It means they go on continuously suppressing. It means to deliberately reject the truth in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And what you're about to find out is that every human being ever coming into this world to one degree or another suppresses that truth. Every human being does. He goes on, verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Let's stop there. It's manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. It's manifest in them. Think about that for a moment. When you look at the human body and you realize the workings of the human body and how it functions together, you know, you can only come to one conclusion, and that isn't that I evolved from a lower life form. Uh, over time, uh, you know, over a period of time and over happenstance, over chance, you can only come to the conclusion that there is a designer. There is an architect to this body. And think about for a moment. This, this building's been here 20 years. They didn't show up one day and just dump all the products down there on the bottom level. And then week by week, suddenly it just all fell together. There was an architect and there was an engineer who were working, they had designed what this building was to look like and they were working together with the construction workers to put piece by piece, put it together. But there had to be a designer. You would never just bring a bunch of product and drop it on a, on a site somewhere and say, well, I don't know what that's gonna become, but I hope it'll be something pretty. There has to be a designer. And beyond just the human body itself, turn over to chapter two and, and notice, if you will, verse 14. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. This is not on the screens. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. 
He's talking now about the law of Moses. The Jews had received the law of Moses, and they were going to be judged according to the law of Moses. But what about the Gentiles who didn't receive the law of Moses? Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. You hear what he says? You hear what he says? You didn't, you're Gentiles, you didn't receive the law of Moses. But when you do things that are morally right, you are demonstrating that there is a law at work within you, and you're going to be judged by that law. And where does that law come from within you? Whether you've had the law of Moses, you've read the law of Moses or not. Where does that law come from? Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Did you know everybody comes into this world with at least aspects of the law written on their hearts? That's why they know some things are morally right and they know some things are morally wrong. And so when you stop and you look, it says God has manifested in them for God has shown it to them. If you just stop and think about how you're made, you stop and think about your conscience, your heart, where God has written the law, you realize that every man at times and in different ways suppresses, deliberately rejects the truth in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. We say no to our consciences and we do what we know we shouldn't do or we don't do what we know we should do. But then he goes on, verse 20, four, since the creation of the world, let's just stop there for a moment, the creation of the world. Can I say something to you students? And I'm a theologian, I'm not a scientist, but I want you to listen to me for a moment, students in the room. You'll have professors, biology professors and science professors that'll tell you that you, were, uh, you, you evolved from a lower life form over millions and billions of years and the way, the way we are today is the result uh, of time and chance. And you, you are led to believe that nobody who is scientific in their minds and in their thinkings would think any other way than that way. But what they don't tell you is there are incredibly smart scientists who believe that God created everything out of nothing, ex nihilo. He created everything out of nothing. And he was the divine architect. And he was the one who put it all together. And he is the one who made it the way it is. And that he is the one who holds it all together. You don't have to check your brains at the door when you come to church. You just have to know that you can't always trust the professors that are teaching you the science at the schools who are telling you that you evolve. That there are other scientists that can show you science that demonstrates creation. Here's what he says. For since the creation, not the evolution of the world, for since the creation of the world, notice since the creation, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're not foggy. They're not in a haze. They're clearly seen. Not only are they clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So in other words, when you look at the human beings or you walk outside and you look at the creation of God, you have to acknowledge at least two things. One is that there's a God bigger than all of this. 
and a God more powerful than all of this. Now listen to what happens. Why the wrath of God is revealed against those who are suppressing the truth when it's clear when they look at themselves or it's clear when they look at creation. Look what happens as a result. His eternal power and Godhead so that, so that, here's your explanation, they are without excuse. Let me ask you a question. Are there any people in the world who are truly innocent? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Everyone can look at creation, the general revelation of God, and recognize his eternal power and Godhead. They don't have the, spe- the special revelation yet of Jesus Christ, but they can look at the general revelation of God and they can recognize there is a God that they must get to know so that they are without excuse. Just so that nobody misses the point of these verses, let me just put it in bullet points. There's a universal revelation of God in nature that is seen and understood by all mankind. Nobody's accepted. If you're living in America or you're living on the other side of the earth where there is no gospel witness. This universal revelation is universally rejected by mankind. He suppresses the truth. The universal rejection of truth by mankind leaves the whole human race without excuse before God. There are no innocent people. We're all sinners. Therefore, the whole human race is under the wrath of God facing eternal death in hell. You can be born in America or you can be born on an island in the Pacific somewhere and have never seen a Bible heard a preacher proclaim the gospel, or heard the name Jesus Christ, but you're not innocent. Because everybody can look at God's creation, and they can all recognize his eternal power and Godhead, and that there is somebody who is greater than themselves. Now listen carefully what I'm about to say to you. People are separated from God for rejecting, let me say it again, People are separated from God for rejecting the knowledge of God revealed in creation, not for rejecting a message they never heard. Not believing in Jesus seals a person's eternal destiny, but people ultimately go to hell because they are all sinners. Now, don't misunderstand. You and I have had the gospel witness over and over. You're sitting here, you've never trusted Jesus, you've never called on Jesus. You, my friends, are going to be held to a greater standard at judgment than those who have never heard the name of Jesus. But that doesn't change the fact that it's still judgment and that they are without excuse and that there really are no innocent people in this world because every one of us can look around and recognize there must be a God to have made something so marvelously wonderful and enormous as this. In the book, Faith Comes by Hearing, authors Christopher Morgan and Robert Peterson write this. How could it be fair and just for those who have never even had a chance to hear the gospel, which is necessary for salvation, to be condemned to hell? The question sounds powerful, but behind it lies faulty assumptions. The first mistaken assumption is that our condemnation is based on a rejection of the gospel. Scripture teaches that our condemnation is based on the fact that we are sinners. 
Not because at some point in time we rejected the gospel. Furthermore, God's wrath is revealed against everyone who suppresses his truth revealed through creation. Strictly speaking, the Bible denies that there are persons who have never heard of God. It doesn't matter where you live. You can look at creation and know there is a God. One evangelist put it this way. Remember, if you take these words of Paul literally, the ones from Romans 1, 18 to 21, if you take these words of Paul literally and you, you don't need to know the Bible in order to be condemned, you don't need to go to church or hear a gospel sermon or read the four spiritual laws, that's a way of explaining the gospel if you didn't know. He goes on, you don't have to say no to Jesus Christ in order to be lost. Even though you never heard a sermon or watched Billy Graham or read the Bible for yourself, you are already condemned by rejecting the truth of God, which has been revealed to all men. You're already lost. We came into this world that way. Robert Mounts, Dr. Robert Mounts is a New Testament scholar. He was, until he passed away last year, the president emeritus of Whitworth University out on the West Coast. This is what he said in his book, Themes from Roman. This is what he said. No one is excluded. No one can get away with saying, I don't believe in God. No one is excluded. No one can get away with saying, I don't believe in God. Now, you can suppress that truth. You, you can say, I, I don't accept that truth. But God will hold every person accountable for seeing that truth. They have seen it. a little like the analogy I heard one time. Just because people choose to close their eyes doesn't make the sun go away. And a lot of people close their eyes to God, but it doesn't mean there is no God. The fact of the matter is there is a God. This God that we're talking about is the one who created everything that there is, all that there is. And when you look at the plain reading of Scripture, when you look at the plain reading of Scripture, when you understand the truth about condemnation, you understand that everybody is guilty. This is why, church, hear me, please, as your pastor, this is why I spend so much time emphasizing missions. Can you imagine if you hadn't been blessed to have been born where you were born? And you were born in a part of the world where you had never seen a Bible, you had never heard the name Jesus, and nobody had ever told you the gospel. You wouldn't know that Jesus is the way of salvation, but you're not innocent. You're not innocent. And because you haven't trusted Jesus, you're on your way to pay a penalty, a price for your sins, for not being innocent. A judgment that you have to have before God can you imagine your children growing up there? That's why God left the mission to the church. He left it to not just our church, to every Bible-believing church. That's why we're supposed to work together in a network where we're sending out people to the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus said, you go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's why we have people to give money for the cause of missions to help partner with missionaries. You say, preacher, there's so many needs right here around us, and we should be working on those needs that are right here around us, and we as a church do work on those needs right here around us. But don't you think when they're planting church on top of church on top of church, don't you think it would be nice that sometimes somebody would plant a church where there isn't even a church? 
I mean, if I were on the other side of the earth and I knew there was a God, but I didn't know who he was or how to know him, and I didn't have a Bible and I didn't have a preacher and I'd never heard the name Jesus, I would desperately wish for someone to come to me and tell me the truth. Whether I reject it or I accept it, I would want somebody to come tell me the truth. The plain reading of Scripture says there's only one way to God. The truth about condemnation, everybody is under his condemnation. Isn't that what John 3.18 says? We love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on in verse 18 that he who believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned. What's the next word? Already. Why? Because there are no innocent people. That brings me to my third point, the right response to light. So I invite you now to go with me to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to introduce you to somebody here. His name is Cornelius. He is a Roman soldier. He is a deeply, profoundly religious man. But I want you to notice he still had to hear the name of Jesus. He still had to believe on Jesus. But my point is, when you see the light and you operate, you Follow that light, God will give you more light. And when you follow that light, God will give you more light. And here's the example of a man. I'm not going to read through, it takes the whole chapter, Acts chapter 10. I just want to introduce him to you. Chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Now I want you to notice his description. He's a devout man, verse 2. One who feared God, gave alms generously prayed to God. Look down in verse 4, toward the end of that verse. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Look over at verse 22. What did the people around Cornelius say about him? He's a just man, one who fears God, a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. Look at verse 30. When Peter speaks to uh, Cornelius, he said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. What's he doing? He's fasting and he's praying. Verse 31, and Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered. And then at the end of verse 34, it says, because God shows no partiality. Wait a minute. If there was ever a man who could have been right with God apart from Jesus Christ, this would have been the man. Are you with me? This would have been the man. I mean, he's honorable. He loves God. He prays to God. He fasts. He gives. He does all these things that religious people are supposed to do, but he doesn't know Jesus. And so God one day says, Cornelius, you know what? You're good enough just like you are. You've believed in something, even though it's not in Christ himself, and so I'm going to accept you on that basis. Is that what he says? Peter goes on here in this chapter. Notice what happens, verse 38. Peter's speaking to him now. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good. So he's telling the biography of Jesus. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. There's the gospel, isn't it? He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. 
Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he, Jesus, who was ordained by God. Verse 43, to him all the prophets witness. To Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, not anybody else's name, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Through his name, whoever believes in him will have remission of sins. Isn't that incredible? Do you get what I'm saying? Cornelius saw this light. He recognized there was a God. It wasn't a God that was made like the other Gentile gods that was carved out of wood or out of stone that you could hold in your own hand. I mean, you can look at those gods. You've got to save those gods yourself. If your, fire, if your house goes up in a fire, you better save your gods yourself, right? He knew there was something greater, someone greater than these gods, and he operated in that light. And you know what God did? God brought him more light. And God brought him the name of Jesus. And Cornelius puts his faith in Jesus Christ. I could take you to the same exact story a couple of chapters before. The Ethiopian eunuch. He comes from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. He knows there's a God. But he doesn't know how to have a right relationship with this God or how to know this God personally. He's riding back toward his home. He's reading from Isaiah 53. Somehow he got a copy of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. He's reading from Isaiah 53. God sends Philip to explain it to him. And you know what he explains? He explains how Jesus is portrayed in Isaiah 53, that he was crucified, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he lives today. And the Ethiopian put his faith in Jesus Christ. He operated in the light that was given to him, and God brought him more light. And I believe that's what happens on the other side of the earth, unless they suppress the truth, which all people do to one degree or another, but at some moment, something pricks their heart. The Holy Spirit, the working of God pricks their heart, causes them to recognize this is silly to believe in these little handheld gods. There's got to be a God bigger than this. And they start seeking in the light that they've been giving, given, and God brings them more light. One author put it this way. Whenever or wherever in the world there is a man or woman who cries out to God with all his heart, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know what kind of a God you are. Then God will make it possible for him to hear the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that God is so loving and so merciful that he makes himself available to every man who seeks him, which is why the Bible says, You shall find me when you seek for me with all your heart. When you give up on these useless, wasted idols and you recognize that Jesus, you recognize that there is a God greater than your idols, and you begin operating in that light, God brings you more light. God brings you more light. There's the plain reading of Scripture. If you just read the Bible like I've just read to you earlier, wouldn't you come to the conclusion there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus? There's the truth about condemnation. There really are no innocent people in the world. Whether we've heard the gospel or not, the fact of the matter is we are all sinners before God and abiding right now under his condemnation if we haven't received Christ. And the right response to light is whatever light God has given to you, Start looking to that God. God, I want to know you. I want to know who. Matter of fact, I would say to you this. If you're here and you don't believe anything I'm saying, I know it's controversial. You don't believe anything I'm saying, I, I challenge you. you. You just say to God when you leave here in a few minutes, God, if this is true and you're true, I, I, I want to see this. I, I want to understand this. 
Lord, I'm going to operate in the light. I believe there's a God. I, I just want to know who you are and how to be right with you. That brings me to the final, the final statement, the unanswerable question about Jesus. The unanswerable question about Jesus. So listen to me carefully, and I'm going to be through here. If there's another way to God than through Jesus Christ, why did God send his son? The death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary would be the world's greatest tragedy if there was some other way other than through Jesus Christ. It would be the world's greatest tragedy. Why would God take his own son, send him to earth, robed in the flesh of mankind as a servant to die an ignominious death on the cross? Why? Why would he do that? That would make him a monstrous God. The reason God did that is because there is no other way. There is no other way than through Jesus. You say, well, I'm going through my church tradition. No, 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 you won't. You go through Jesus. You say, well, I'm going through some Christ figure in some, in some foreign religion somewhere. Oh, no, 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 you won't. You'll go through Jesus. You say, well, I just don't want to accept Jesus. I just refuse to, to call on Jesus. That's your business. You can do that. But you can't go to God and have eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins apart from Jesus Christ. That's the plain reading of Scripture. That's the truth about condemnation. That's the right response to light. That's the unanswerable question about Jesus. If there was another way, why would God send his son? If there was another way, he's the greatest monster there is to let his own son die in such a fashion. The fact of the matter is, friends, there is no other way. There is no other way. Jesus Christ is the only way. That's why I call every one of you. Ask your children. Challenge your children. Don't just ask them about the scholarship for football and baseball and getting into their best college. Don't just ask them about becoming a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher. Ask them, is God calling you? Have you ever made yourself available that God might use your life to bring the gospel to somebody who's never heard the gospel? That's why I say to every one of us who aren't called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, who are called to take the gospel right where we are, that's why I ask you, join me and partner with me and these missionaries. Let us do all that we can. I don't want to stand before God one day at the judgment, at the judgment seat of Christ. That's not where you deter it's determined whether you go to heaven or not. That's where it's determined the works that you've done, whether they are worthy of reward or not. And I don't want to stand before God one day at the judgment seat of Christ and him say about me, David, you didn't do very much to try to reach those who didn't have any message of the gospel in their own tongue. You didn't do very much. While we're spending money on bigger houses and nicer cars, and while we're trying to build our portfolios and pad our, our income for the future, trying to make sure everything is convenient and comfortable for the rest of our lives and everything is taken care of. There are people who desperately need to hear about Jesus. And the failure 
of them not hearing is not God. He left the gospel in our trust, intending for us to be preachers of the gospel so that they could hear, they could believe, and they could call on Jesus Christ. So let me just ask you a question. Whether you like my answer or not about people who've never heard the gospel, whether you agree or disagree, my question to you is, you've heard the gospel. What have you done about it? Where are you? Have you received Christ as your Savior? My friends, you're not going to get to heaven any other way. You can belong to this church and every other church in this city. We can wash you in that baptistry every week. And you're not going to get to heaven through those waters. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, Jesus says, except through me.